My kids think I'm tight with money. The policy which has the wholehearted support of both Anna Soubry and Andrew Bridgen. Now, I've got some good news for you. Europe, just a few miles off the coast of Kent, we are going to go on drinking their milk. Complex supply chains crisscross our borders. You have the milk that is taken from cows in the north, taken from cows in the south. Over 11,000 trucks each day pass through the port of Dover and the Channel Tunnel alone, carrying tens of thousands of tons of milk in both directions. And our businesses need that milk. Because it's clear from what we heard last week from Labour that this country now faces a choice. A choice between the seductive, brave new world of Corbyn and Macdonald and our ideologues. Wealth is created without work. The rules of the game have changed. <coughs> For goodness sake, we've got a shadow chancellor of the Exchequer whose declared aim in life is fomenting the overthrow of capitalism. Corbyn and McDonald would enhance economic growth because they are interested in redistributing wealth, creating more of it. If you're a socialist, look it up in the socialist manual. Railways, nationalize them. Wealth, confiscate it. Run out of money, just go and borrow some more. Conference, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour are a government in waiting. But let me, let me be clear about one thing. Colleagues, we will not outbid Corbyn. We will not outspend him. We will not promise the utopia that he offers revolution. Because throughout history, conservative governments from Peel to Disraeli to Thatcher have delivered a lack of passion or commitment to change, paucity of values or ideals. Our values. Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are. In the you know, ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right, to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalising 
colonisation without compensation, that sort of hard left-wing position, hard the left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, the hard left, left, hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, 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 yeah, I guess we don't really need to do an introduction anyway, so... Uh... Yeah, we've already kind of introduced stuff, but um, we're back home from conference now. Yeah, I had a really good time. Met some great comrades. And as you said, on a few occasions as well, I've come back sort of reinvigorated, you know. It's nice to sort of go to an event like this to realise what we're sort of aiming for here. Labour Party isn't perfect, but the core aims of it are decent. Direction of travel is absolutely the right one. Absolutely. And going to conference and meeting like-minded people definitely reinvigorates your hunger to see a socialist Labour government elected. But we're going to be just wrapping up our conference episode here with some talks about some of the actual speeches that happened at the actual Labour conference. We went to most of the, the World Transformed events which is, of course, the festival run by Momentum. Uh, what I would like to talk about, though, before we go on to some of the speeches, because we need to talk about Keir Starmer's speech. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let that kind of give the listeners an idea of what we think about Keir Starmer's Brexit speech. We'll also speak about John McDonald's and Corbyn's and also some of the speeches that were given at fringe events, including Laura Smith's speech, where she called for a general strike, which is... Uh, interesting i want to mention that owen jones shared this actually it was from an article of i believe some young blairites in the party where they're basically saying that oh damn you know like we used to really enjoy conference you know what the trouble is brucey we used to make shit in this country build shit now all the best stuff happens at momentum and it's like yeah. it's, he was like this is the and owen tweeted saying you know this is the saddest thing i've ever read and he's yeah. absolutely right. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I can imagine if you're a player, right? You're not going to have a very great conference, really. Yeah, they're like, oh, all the best dressed people at all the best parties are all in the world transformed this year, <laughs> and, and and even actually in uh, Marina Hyde's snide hit piece about conference and the world transformed in the guardian today oh, um, God, it's fucking she, she actually reaches a fairly similar conclusion that conference is a bit clapped out and dull and the spirit of labor's past and the world transformed is where the stuff is really happening although obviously she can't help but be sneering and dismissive about the stuff that is happening particularly the concept of the deep state I think it's wonderful that, uh, <laughs> that Andrew Murray has been able to put the idea of the deep state back at the forefront of our political discourse. He, of course, the centrists will bitch and moan and complain, but, you know, it's uh, always been <laughs> a considerable obstacle to the left attaining power, the vested interests of the state as well as yeah. the capital being against them. I mean, and it also yeah. shows you the sad state of the Guardian, where you now have the political editor of the New Statesman completely outflanking them and giving Labour much better coverage than supposedly the broadsheet that's supposed to stand and fight the corner for Labour in the mainstream media. But uh, yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, well, the Andrew Murray piece in the latest issue of the New Statesman, which I've actually got here, I've got it on the train up. Unfortunately, I'd already read all the George Eaton pieces online, so I, I, I didn't get much out of it. But there is a piece, which again, I'd also already read online by Andrew Murray, called I am accused of being a Putin apologist, and is the deep state trying to undermine Corbyn? So 
presumably this is one commissioned by Red George and it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Andrew Murray who is Unite's chief of staff and a part-time aide to Jeremy Corbyn who worked on last year's general election campaign he's sort of complaining about how he's been banned from Ukraine and hasn't been given a parliamentary pass <laughs> and so I think it's great that Andrew and George of course are trying to force the deep state and the obstacle it poses to socialist governments the forefront of a popular imagination and of course you know cowards will flinch and traitors will sneer but we'll keep the red george flying here (laughs) also you'd think that the guardian would be a little bit more familiar with the deep state given that its representatives went into their offices just a couple of years ago and smashed up all their hard drives with hammers and drills But, you know, the deep state might try and bring down a socialist firebrand like Harold Wilson, but a moderate melt like Corbyn? What's the likelihood of that? Before we move on, I just want to quickly read out the actual extract that Owen shared. It says in the article, We're just not sexy anymore, says one Blairite, Labour student, (laughs) who's been attending party conference for three years. We need young good-looking, cool people. It's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. And we're just not cool anymore. Conference <laughs> used to be really fun and ruckus, ruck, uh, ruckus for us. When 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 were they cool? Bring the motherfucking ruckus, am I right? Is that the mantra at Progress? <laughs> when were this lot ever cool? Like, Cool Britannia was well over 20 years ago and mm. was an entirely manufactured phenomenon that wasn't actually cool. Like, these, these people are tragic. Jesus fucking Christ, man. They all just look like somebody took a bit of Owen Smith's DNA and, like, created something even blander. <laughs> Their idea of being edgy is walking around in t shirts that say Zionist shitlord. So, oh my uh, god, yeah, Luke yeah. Akehurst and Matt Pound and oh. uh, so, some other tosser all in their Zionist shitlord t shirts. And isn't sort of calling yourself a such and such shitlord like a, an alt right thing? I, 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 may, I may be wrong, I don't know. And the quote from the young Blairite Labour student concludes with saying, Now momentum have all the best parties. He's yep. absolutely right. Yeah, he's absolutely yeah. right. Not that we got invited to any of them, but I'll t- you know, I assume it's true. We we had our own party. Yeah, what just us sitting in our room really stoned like what you you just like um what Me? were you even doing? Just like dropping off to sleep. S- sleeping. While I you know, it's a long a fucking day. It's a long long day. I need to get my snow. I need to get my sleep in, man. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was great meeting loads of different people from the World Transformed events. And what was really amazing was speaking to a lot of the younger people who listen to our podcast and who were involved mm. with Momentum Student Politics. And I was like, I thought, wow, like, what were my politics like at 18 years old? Certainly not as radical as a lot of the people who were involved Sarah with Momentum. Sarah Cundy. Exactly. Like, when I was <laughs> when I was 18, my politics, you know, fair play... We met Sarah at conference, and uh, yeah, I just want to say it's that it's hard to imagine anyone as just relentlessly vigilant as Sarah. You know, <laughs> get, get, that picture of her and her gang making Red George do the vigilance sign of his yeah. fingers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, standing firm against the trots. Another yeah. reason to respect him. Yeah. Um, carry on, Tom. Sorry. I was also going to say she also sorted us out with some leftist literature as well. I won't say what it was, but thank you for getting us a hold of some of that. So good fair read. play. But as I said, you know, when I was 18, my politics were just not as well developed as a lot of the young people in Momentum. And that was also because, you know, you certainly grew up in a, in a more politically 
tuned in environment, Jack, but I wasn't really brought up in a household that was kind of mm. speaking about politics all the time. And then you look at the Labour Party at the time when I was 18, and I mean, that says it all, really. There was not the level of interest amongst people my age. And I, as I said, I joined the Labour Party for the first time when Corbyn went on the ballot paper in 2015. And yeah. my sort of journey with a lot of other people has sort of started at that point. Even though I had a broad interest in politics at the time, I knew that I was never going to vote Conservative. I knew that Labour was the only other real alternative, but then they weren't perfect. And I knew about Ben broadly and stuff. But then after 2015, that's when my interest and my determination to look deeper into the history of the Labour movement and leftist politics outside of that. The ball got rolling in that sense. But yeah, it's just fantastic. It was We had a really good time at The World Transformed and we look forward to going again next year when hopefully we can sort of go back either in government or ready to go on an election campaign where we throw out the Conservatives once and for all. But you're right about the young people there who have serious politics and a serious consistency and coherence of Absolutely. their political perspective. And Absolutely. I think the difference between us at that age and them is that we existed within a more atomized individualistic political milieu. Yeah. Now there is a genuine mass movement in the country that can provide some kind of grounding for socialists to go off and explore, you know, new ideological horizons. Exactly. That is a genuinely exciting thing, a movement of hundreds of thousands of socialists. I remember when I was at university, when we were both at university, what kind of political engagement was there available? You know, it was, I don't remember the university I went to being very, for example, I don't remember any person running for the the students. I mean, absolutely, I understand that broadly student politics in general, or it used to be, usually quite trivial crash apart from you know some good left left uh, leftists the hard left the hard left the hard left hard left hard left the hard left who tried to get their candidates selected to the head of student unions and stuff but at our university you know I don't remember there being any left candidate running, you know, it was basically popularity contests, it was just reactionary individualists, you know, bollocks really, so there wasn't much for us to latch onto when we were young. Let's talk about some of the other attractions that were at conference, so before we get onto the speeches from the main conference, I want to talk about the Socialist Campaign Group rally. Okay, yes, so the Socialist Campaign Group, of course, is a grouping of left-wing members of Parliament and the Labour Party in the parliamentary group basically a parliamentary grouping weren't they that sort of formed in the early 1980s yeah Um, it's been the way the left's been represented in parliament since the early 1980s when they split off from the tribune group as a result of a split in that group over tony ben's decision to challenge dennis healy for the deputy leadership of the labor party and the campaign group effectively although its membership dwindled for instance in 2007 it had i think 24 MPs so it was a very very marginal group in parliament that was out of 300 and something at the time it largely fell completely dormant in 2015 when almost the entirety of its membership joined the shadow cabinet in some capacity due to the serious lack of left MPs and you know there are a couple of other people like Michael Meacher died Kelvin Hopkins has been suspended from a party. There are various reasons that it has kind of diminished in influence, even though it was a complete... Well, it's weird, because the actual campaign group strain within the party has, you know, massively multiplied in influence. But the group itself kind of fell to the wayside, because there was a rule for many years that you could not be in the shadow cabinet or the cabinet and in the campaign group at the same time. 
Now, in 2017, they resurrected the group and they overhauled those rules so that now members of the Shadow Cabinet can be in the campaign group, although there is a limit to the office that they can hold within the group. But it contains, so I'll just very quickly run through them all because there's not actually very many, which shows how dire the current parliamentary party is. Diane Abbott, Richard Bergen, Ronnie Campbell, Dan Carden, Emma Dent Code, David Drew, Imran Hussein, Ian Lavery, Karen Lee, Rebecca Long Bailey, John McDonnell, Ian Means, Laura Pidcock, Lloyd Russell Moyle, Dennis Skinner, Laura Smith, John Trickett, and Chris Williamson. That is a campaign group, although I would say that Margaret Greenwood, Clive Lewis, Kat Smith, Marsha D. Cordova, Hugh Gaffney, and Kate Osmore are all also affiliated with that wing of the party. So, including Jeremy Corbyn himself, that's about 25 solidly left MPs, and I reckon there's a couple of others. And what I find especially interesting about the list of campaign group MPs is that you can see which MPs have kind of moved with the times in a leftward direction. So, for example, you have John Trickett on there, who in the past would traditionally have been associated with the Compass soft left of the party, although Compass is kind of floundering a bit. They lost a lot of influence in the mid-2000s when they said that they would admit people from parties other than Labour, which, of course, Labour's a very tribal party, so that didn't necessarily go down so well with, you know, people who are sort of, you know, red to the bone. But Trickett obviously saw which way the wind was blowing, and now he is in the campaign group. And also on the list, there's Ian Lavery, who backed Andy Burnham in 2015, but has since then been steadfast in his support for Corbyn's leadership. And there's an interesting quote and a profile of the then incredibly desiccated and weakened parliamentary Labour left from 2011 on the Russian fake news outlet TotalPolitics.com, which contains a quote from Ronnie Campbell, who's the old Lexiteer who sits next to Dennis Skinner in Parliament. And Ronnie Campbell is saying how people entering Parliament in that era wouldn't want to become left MPs because they knew they were destined to obscurity and political oblivion if that was the case. And there's a quote from Ronnie Campbell saying, Ian Lavery's on the left, but he's ambitious, so he won't be on the left for long. It turns out that Ian Lavery would follow his ambitions straight to the left. And I think that was probably a very good decision on his part. The Wikipedia page for the campaign group does not contain much in the way of citations, so I don't know where they got that list of MPs from. But it does share many people in common with the speakers at the campaign group rally on the last day of conference that unfortunately I wasn't able to be at, but has made headlines because a left-wing backbencher from a 2017 intake called Laura Smith advocated a general strike. Yeah. <laughs> Today we've heard calls for a true people's vote, a general election. Yeah. Comrades, we must topple this cruel and callous Tory government as soon as we can. And if we can't get a general election, 
We should organise with our brothers and sisters in the trade union to bring an end to this government with a general strike. Well, which in my, in my view is far preferable to a second referendum. I think it would be a, an incredible display of workers' power. And uh, it's no wonder she got a rousing standing ovation, although Richard Bergen says it wasn't a standing ovation. I, I mean, I love Richard Bergen, but there is footage of him standing on stage clapping, which, I mean, looks looks a little bit like a standing ovation to me, but good. Yeah. Good on him. If, good you on sta- him. if you stand up and you're clapping, that's what they generally refer to as a standing <laughs> ovation, you know? <laughs> it's more fucking Orwellian doublespeak, man. You know, some animals are... Uh, more equal than others you know what they say but yeah basically i'm excited by this because to me it shows the parliamentary left as a coherent unit there are people like emily thornberry for instance or andrew Gwynne or angela rayner who are pro corbyn they are pro corbyn as a leader and willing to work with corbyn but you would not define them as being on the factional left of a party so To see the parliamentary left organised again, to me, is very exciting. And actually, although they're not listed on the Wikipedia page, Cat Smith and Margaret Greenwood, both from the Shadow Cabinet, did speak at this event. And of course, Auntie Diane, who apparently got a great reception there. Lloyd Russell Moyle, who, from kind of slightly slightly melty on issues of Europe beginnings in Parliament has actually developed into one of my favourite MPs of the current intake. And of course Dennis Skinner, I think, he was at least on the bill. I don't know if he ended up speaking, and McDonnell. And of course Liverpool's own Dan Carden, Emma Dent Code from Kensington, another yep. one of my favourite MPs. For me, this is very exciting because it's almost like the resurrection of Tribune. There's an attempt to connect the current political moment within the Labour Party with its history. Definitely. What do you think in terms of the actual call for a general strike? Well, as I said, it would be a formidable display of workers' power, and I would fully support it. I think it could destabilise the government to such an extent that they might be forced to call a Mm. general election. So I, I, yeah, I absolutely would take that over a second referendum. Yeah, I mean, the last strikes that brought down a government, I'm guessing, were the 1970-74 Conservative government, wasn't it? That was the last time strikes sort of brought down. Is that correct, would you say? I think that's true. Well, they didn't bring down the Thatcher government, did they? No, the strikes did not, sadly not, but they brought down Edward Heath's government, and then yeah, before that absolutely. you had the... Those weren't general strikes. The last general strike was 1926, of course. 26, which... yeah, of course. In, in the 70s, Edward Heath asked the country, you know, who governs Britain? And they gave me the answer, oh, not you, mate. Um, <laughs> and similarly, although Labour didn't get an overall majority in the 1929 general election, the 1926 general strike was not kind of electoral poison. Labour won about 150 seats in 1929. Yeah. Uh, won more votes than any other party. Exactly, um, and, exactly. And you've got Wes Streeting, you know, never resisting an opportunity to have a pop at one of his colleagues, particularly women, it seems to be, for some reason. It's always, uh, oh, fuck you, Laura Pidcock, you don't want to hang out with Tories. You know, there was that thing that someone told me at the last election that Wes Streeting was bitching to just some random, like, young Labour bowtie nerd about how 
much he hates Diane Abbott as a person, which oh, d- doesn't surprise fuck, me. Fuck yeah, fuck you. Ex- apparently extremely personally unpleasant, according to Wes. And yeah, now he couldn't resist a pop at Laura Smith. And he seemed to get the winter of discontent confused with the 1926 general strike. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> you know, quite a difference, not least in the, yeah, as we say, Labour got fucked in the 1979 general election and they did pretty well in the 1929 one. Yeah, Tom Watson came out and he said most trade unions will tell you that the general strike was an absolute failure for the working class. I mean, as you said, no, well, (laughs) you look at the 1929 election, that wouldn't exactly back up that point of view, but... Well, he's a patronising arsehole, (laughs) and and I'm I'm very, yeah, and again, like, just like when Laura Pidcock said she didn't want to hang out with Tories, now Laura Smith has talked about some radical industrial action. You've got, as Laura tweeted, male leaders of the party being so dismissive and so condescending about her saying she just kind of didn't know what she was talking about and got carried away. Yeah, Um, fucking. I, I, you know, I think that she she uh, had a good point. Certainly seems more politically level-headed to me than the people who somehow think a second referendum is going to be this panacea, this magic bullet that makes everything okay again and takes us back to the halcyon days of I don't know what uh, early 2016. Um, <laughs> so general yeah, strike, like, we back it. Yeah, absolutely, a general strike. RP for um, general strike. I guess we could talk about the conference speeches. The big keynote speeches there? Yes, so the main ones were Keir Starmer on Brexit, which you made a noise about, which the listeners can already guess what we think about that, because of course Keir Starmer does not want to take the idea of a second referendum off the table. He's open to, what was it that he said exactly? He said something along the lines of, you know, Remain is still potentially on the table, which we do not fucking need. If you want to build an actual viable socialist, if you want to actually pass a lot of what Corbyn's potential socialist government want to do, you can't do it inside the European Union. Sorry. Our preference is clear. We want a general election to sweep away this failed government. And conference. Having swept them away, we want to install a radical Labour government capable of transforming this country. And that's what should happen. But if that's not possible, we must have other options. And conference, that must include campaigning for a public vote. It's right that Parliament has the first say. It's right that Parliament has the first say. But if we need to break the impasse, our options must include campaigning for a public vote. And nobody is ruling out Remain as an option. And conference. Definitely not. I mean, the next manifesto is going to be significantly more radical than the last. And if you think, you know, the EU, you, yeah, and exactly, if we're going to be still in the EU and you think they're going to accept that, you are very, very misinformed. I mean, just look I saw at Greece. A great thread by some Blairite, maybe FBP, Lib Dem. I don't oh, know course. what their ideology was. A shit know. one, probably. Yeah, they did a big thread and they were fairly open, actually, about that they want to stay in the EU because 
they want it to tie the hands of the left government and limit their capacity for public investment. You know, here's this thread from someone called Francis Wheatman. One thing that worries me is the EU monitors fiscal activity in the UK to prevent overspending or illegal budgets. That will go. She claims that the EU provides a safeguard against socialist utopia. And yeah, I think safeguarding against utopia is just the most phenomenal display of centrism. They say that one of Corbyn's leadership policies in 2015, people's quantitative easing, she doesn't use people's here. I don't know why people's vote always get the people's, but people's quantitative easing doesn't. (laughs) But she, she says this may be good but it could also be inflationary. And then saying leaving the EU will push Corbyn further to the left. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know if these people are purposely trying to make me more Eurosceptic, but they're, they're, they're certainly doing a good job. Can I just say, the group that really confused me are, we saw a few of them at the World Transformed, and they were wearing the T-shirts, um, love Corbyn, hate Brexit. Like, they obviously can't be for the more radical elements of Corbynism. What attracts me to Corbyn is the more radical elements of his economic strategy that's put forward by John McDonnell. And of course, as I said earlier on, we're not going to be able to achieve those inside the European Union. They just simply will not be allowed. Yeah, well, some bloke in a T-shirt knows that better than John McDonnell, obviously. Oh, of course, yeah, Um, you know. I've just been sort of... But I've been so annoyed. Half these people, you know, they don't love Corbyn. These fucking trots, all all they love is fucking, you know, standing up at a meeting and saying this is more of a comment than a question. You know, (laughs) that's what they love. They just want to grandstand. They don't care about collective responsibility. They don't care about being part of a movement. It's important to them that they get to bang the drum for their cause celebre, even if it doesn't fit into, you know, as I was saying to George Eaton in our interview, I think the thing is that though they might deny it, and I don't think this is the case for everyone who wants a second referendum, a lot of them want it instead of a general election. They, oh. they, want, they know that it will continue to consume our discourse, and that's, yeah. that's exactly what they want, because they want the primary division in our society not to be between the many or the few, the capitalists and socialists. They want it to be between Remainers and Leavers, which is a false binary Mm. and you cannot structure a political worldview around that binary. There is a reason that that was not the entire framing of politics prior to 2016 and I think it is baffling that anybody wants to return to the myopic monomaniacal days of the last referendum, which was one of the absolute worst times in British politics. It really was. I mean, I mean, now is so much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So much better because we're almost out. We're almost gone and free. (laughs) Again, we spoke about this during our actual conference when we were there recording when Jack walked past someone who was wearing one of these said shirts. And of course, Jack (laughs) couldn't contain himself and uh, was full Brexit now. No, you were like hard Brexit now. And, yeah, um, hard Brexit, I, I believe I said. But again, there's nothing more infuriating than, we said this a few times on Real Politics, there's nothing more infuriating than people whose sole politics are completely based around the issue of Brexit. As if they've only come into politics purely because of this and they've never raised their eyes at anything in terms of mass inequality that's been created by capitalism. They only, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's mind-numbing really. But fuck them, we're leaving, we're, we're out. <laughs> we're out. Out of Brexit yeah, so, now. So should we talk about the main speeches? Yes. The main so Keir Starmer, 
his Brexit speech. Well, um, we, we, we just spoke about that. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want Remain to be an option on the table. I don't want there to be a second referendum to start with if there was. Making it a three-way thing, deal, no deal, Remain, that would split the Leave vote and it would be seen as an attack on democracy, a kind of gerrymandering yeah, absolutely. Um, that would uh, provoke the most fearsome backlash. I, I mean, uh, yeah, so far yeah. we've been able to say when someone says, well, I voted Leave, it was an anti-establishment vote. We can say, well, you know, Labour have accepted the result of a referendum. Now we might be in a slightly more difficult position of uh, having yeah. to go, well, you know, we're going to possibly keep the option of accepting referendum on the table. I just can't get my head around how some people cannot see how this could be such a toxic move and how we really could alienate because you know a lot of traditional Labour voters voted leave. Do they think these people are going to remain loyal to us over that? It is a really dangerous move if we were to try and force a second referendum. There we go. In terms of the other speeches, there was Diane Abbott. Yes, not so keen on the more borderly stuff, to be honest. What else did she discuss in her speech? Well, the first five minutes was essentially the stuff about border guards and police. Beyond some stuff where she talked about Grenfell Fire and linked in with cuts to the fire service, it was largely this very kind of conventional framing that you would almost kind of get from Yvette Cooper as Shadow Home Mm. Secretary under Ed Miliband about the Tories aren't interested in border security or protecting our streets and so on and Labour will invest in border guards to present against, you know, drugs and crime and all that. So there was a big backlash on Twitter against that and I wanted to listen to the speech before weighing in but actually watching the speech it's not an offhand comment it's very central focus of the speech for the first five minutes and I think that it's a shame because Labour could be taking the initiative to push the conversation on issues like immigration like policing beyond the kind of paradigm that it's been discussed in forever. This government is big on rhetoric about security policing and borders, but talk is cheap. Action costs money. They've slashed the border guards just as they slashed the police and fire services. Not Labour. It wasn't Labour that slashed the border guards. It was the Tories that made those cuts. Real border security to stop drug trafficking, sex traffickers, gangsters and terrorists, that is what the Labour Party stands for. But the last 10 minutes of the speech, I would say, was more substantial. There was stuff in there about... I wrote... Uh, hang on, I wrote all this up in uh, Tom Ganfans. What the, no, sorry, Stephen Smith's Barmy Army. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's no longer Corbyn's Hate Factory now. It's now uh, Stephen Smith's Barmy Army. A very influential grouping of Twitter users. You have the Socialist Campaign Group, but then you want the equivalent of that on Twitter. It's Steve Smith's Barmy Army. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So after the first five minutes, which, as I say, beyond the stuff where she raises Grenfell and cuts to the fire service, it is largely this quite kind of conventional law and order framing. After that, that's when she begins to talk about trade union blacklisting and about the spy cop scandal. And she mooted a new policy about in order to be able to enter somebody's home as an undercover officer, you need a judge's warrant. Now, I think that's quite 
insufficient, really. You know, there are definitely much more radical policies that could be pushed in that area. But again, the fact that she's making an attempt to address the horrific abuse of police power, we saw in a spy cop scandal where, uh, you know, these men, these men are rapists. They yes. uh, yeah, use their position as undercover police officers to get in relationships with women some of whom they lived with or they had children with under false pretenses and it's disgraceful you know they're criminals and yeah it's good that that is at the forefront of the labor home office team's thinking even if the solutions they proposed are not yet adequate there's a long segment of the speech that is very pro-immigration and of course would be more effective if not kind of punctured by the first five minutes where she talks about strong borders and so on not that i expect her to be advocating quite open borders but i feel she could have framed those arguments differently yeah the segment of the speech on immigration that is good is where she says that it's bosses exploitation that drives down wages not migrants she talks about the importance of migrants to keeping our economy going and also how you shouldn't just look at migrants as economic objects they are yeah, this people is... with hopes and dreams as well absolutely because um, there's a lot of people who make the argument that these people come over and they do the jobs that you wouldn't want to do they pick the fruits and whatnot and all that bullshit but they there's never any mention that as you say these people have hopes and dreams and they have every right to be able to fulfill those aims that they have to do what's best for them and their families. So we've had Theresa May with her go home vans. She was the Home Secretary who announced that she would deport first, appeal later. And the entire Tory party and the Lib Dems voted for the 2014 Immigration Act which implemented their hostile environment. They are responsible for Windrush. And it's no use. <laughs> and it's no use the current Home Secretary Sajid Javid trying to evade responsibility. He claims to have ended the hostile environment. That is untrue. Last Friday, he sneaked out an announcement showing that they are still treating the Windrush generation as second-class citizens. We will not rest until there is justice for the Windrush generation. We will not rest until the hostile environment is ended, until Yards Wood and Brookhouse detention centres are closed. <laughs> but we can't expect increased training to plug the shortage of workers like doctors and social care workers in the short term. We will need some migrant workers. But conference, we should always remember that immigrants don't drive down wages. It's predatory employers. <laughs> predatory employers weaken trade union rights and freedoms, and an austerity government. That is what has driven down wages. 
Yeah, know? and I don't think it can be argued credibly that this is a step backwards for Labour. I think it's not a sufficient step forwards. Mm. If you compare yeah. what Diane Abbott said in her speech today, it was immeasurably more positive about immigration than Labour's then Shadow Home Secretary Andy Burnham's address to Labour conference in 2016, where, as The Independent reported, he delivered a parting shot to Jeremy Corbyn, because of course he resigned mid-speech, over his refusal to accept EU immigration curbs. The Shadow Home Secretary criticised his party for failing to acknowledge the brutal fact that millions of Labour supporters voted for change on immigration in backing Brexit. Burnham said such voters were not narrow-minded nor xenophobic because they welcomed refugees and have... I don't think that's true about a lot of anti-immigration <laughs> voters, to be honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and have no problem with people coming here to work. Again, like, the whole problem is that they took our jobs. But he added, they do have a problem with people taking them for granted and with unlimited, unfunded, unskilled migration, which damages their own living standards. And they have an even bigger problem with an out-of-touch elite who don't seem to care about it. This party must fully face up to this fact. Millions of lifelong Labour supporters voted to leave the EU, and let's be honest, they voted for change on immigration. We haven't yet even begun to show them that we understand why. For some of our country's least affluent areas, it wasn't working well at all. Places that then experienced even more rapid social change when the EU expanded. Cuts to wages, job insecurity, more pressure on primary schools and GP services. And in fact, it's even worse than that. They're the same council areas which have had the biggest cuts from the Tories and are left to take practically all of the country's asylum seekers, while more comfortable areas like the Prime Minister's constituency take none at all. Labour voters in constituencies like mine are not narrow-minded nor xenophobic, as some would claim. They are warm and giving. Their parents and grandparents welcomed thousands of Ukrainians and Poles to Lee after the Second World War. And today, they continue to welcome refugees from all over the world. They have no problem with people coming here to work, but they do have a problem with people taking them for granted and with unlimited, unfunded, unskilled migration, which damages their own living standards. And I tell you what, they have an even bigger problem with an out-of-touch elite who doesn't seem to care about any of the issues that they are facing. So that is not of a piece with what Diane Abbott said the other day. She also, in her speech, touched on, on the theme of immigration. She talked a lot about the Windrush scandal. And indeed, speaking of Windrush, there has been a good line that has been repeated throughout the conference that the Tories have created a hostile environment, not just for migrants, which I undoubtedly have, but for disabled people. Yes. And of course, I think we mentioned it the other day, but Shadow Disabilities Minister Marsha D. Cordova pledged to scrap every benefit sanction in the course of a World Transformed event. Awesome. So apart from a pretty kind of patchy opening, broadly, you praise a lot of the later stuff that she speaks about in her speech, uh, Diane Abbott. Yeah, I think a lot of it is pretty standard for Labour conferences, but inquiries into Orgreave, into the 37 camel-led shipyard workers, the Shrewsbury 27, I think that would all be very welcome. An inquiry into the blacklisting of trade unionists, plus presumably, well, she talks explicitly about attempts 
to strengthen workers' rights in the face of these kind of abuses of power, and an end to the hostile environment, closing of Yarl's Wood and other detention centres. You know, I think it's a really positive step in the right direction, even though it still falls unfortunately within a quite conventional, and unfortunately conventional in 2018 Britain means quite reactionary framing for at least the first five minutes. I personally feel what Diane Abbott is trying to do is what John McDonnell did in his early months as Shadow Chancellor. And in fact, he's still doing of rebranding as the kind of boring bank manager. I think as Diane Abbott, of course, was attacked in the last election for stuff like a claim in the 1980s, I believe, that she wanted to abolish MI5. And same as McDonnell wants to abolish the capitalist system. The two of them are going around saying, no, we won't completely dismantle the state or capitalism. <laughs> These two are inextricable things. Yeah. So I understand her political rationale. I especially understand that she may be reluctant to be too radical rhetorically because every Nazi in the country wants to murder her. Pretty um, much, yeah. So I, so I think there should be a little bit of empathy in that regard, but at the same time, it would be great to see her really have the full courage of her convictions on immigration, and I suppose policing as well, as we know she has strong critiques of these systems, and obviously everything in the Labour Party is, is a compromise. Yes, but yes, you have to get used to there, that. There, there is a huge chance to change the terms of debate here. Absolutely. And in terms of Big John McDee and his speech? It was a wonderful speech, but we'd been smoking. (laughs) I can't can't remember anything about it. Uh, (laughs) Did he speak about the National Investment Bank? Basically, I think he did. Yeah, (laughs) it was all it was all the good, you know, economic policies he's been mooting throughout the whole conference. When it comes to economics, Big John McDee is always on tune. So in his speech, he was a bit like Corbyn going through a lot of the greatest hits of his aims in terms of reforming the economy. But you know what? It was delivered with that gusto and that coolness that we expect from John. And of course, when you're smoking, of course, <laughs> we were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah John. You actually have watched something else that I haven't. So I watched you have seen, I've seen the speech by our leader, Jeremy Corbyn. Our leader. And Stalin, our leader, with faith in the people, inspired us to build a land that we Our leader, Mr. Corbyn, yes. Early on, he was emphasising unity, of course, which is, of course, you know, is going to be the biggest... I disagree. It, well, 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 in terms of... <laughs> it depends who you have in the Parliamentary Labour Party who can hold that unity together. But then again, we've said yes. that we said that before conference, of course, you know, when Corbyn Labour government is elected, you need a Parliamentary Labour Party that's going to back him. We don't currently have that. And this is, of course, led on to him saying, we are a broad church. We could be broader. And I was just like, no, Je- no, Jez, we don't need to be broader. We, we really do. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree. More sort of hardline communists. That's what we need. We exactly. need to get Laura back in the fold. That's, that's my idea of a broad we, church. We need to bring, yeah, we don't need to be a more of a broad church to the centre ground and the right. We need to be a more broad church to the left. Yeah, we need we need a movement that ranges from George Eaton to Laura and <laughs> no further. In, no further in George's direction. Sorry, George. <laughs> no, but we're including George in that, so it's all good. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We welcome him. You're welcome, George. Um, 
Also, of course, quite early on, he brought up anti-Semitism and he was very calm, assured and determined when speaking about it. He called out the hypocrisy of the Tories, who, of course, going after Corbyn and Labour for the anti-Semitism row. In that, he called out the hypocrisy of the Tories and the fact that they support Viktor Orban's far-right Hungarian government, who, of course, are very anti-Islam and have some very anti-Semitic views amongst their membership and some of their elected officials. He also continued his critiques of privatisation, linking in recent events, for example, the Birmingham prison that was run by G4S that was brought back into public ownership. He also highlighted the collapse of privately operated East Coast railways for the third time in recent years, put a really strong emphasis on funding needed for mental health services that I completely get behind because, you know, everyone in our society is going to deal with their mental health at some point and there just simply is not much of a support network available for that and of course mentioning of course you know workers being elected onto positions on company boards so it's been described as a speech by a lot of people as being kind of like a greatest hits for the stuff that Jeremy usually speaks about it's what it, they call all his speeches yeah yeah <laughs> he's exactly. the leader he exactly. can't stick to he's got, you know, yeah, in his exactly. conference speech he's exactly. got to touch on a variety of issues he can't he's got to give a broad overview of about yeah. I don't know what would Corbyn like to talk about is allotment you know, <laughs> fucking Latin American solidarity or something like <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to do a long speech on that, but he's got to cover a lot of ground. Yeah, but, you know, he came across calm, collected, assured, and the hall loved him. And probably, I'd say, from what I saw of it, it was certainly one of his best speeches to date. And I think some of the people in the commentariat were agreeing to that. I even were, even, uh, even Sebi Payne was Matthew saying Dan-Kona. it. Sebi Payne, yeah, Sebi Payne approved. <laughs> but, yeah, Dan Kona didn't. Apparently fuming Thank because him. drugstore culture has already been a massive failure. <laughs> Oh, boo-hoo. I bet they pay loads because all those like sort of millionaire vanity projects sort of shit rags like unheard apparently pay loads yeah i know at least one person on the left who's done unheard a bunch of times for the money and um, also i i don't know the spoon actually are probably voluntary but i think there is a, like a great sort of scope like if i had the resources that these people's uh, wealthy proprietors do i would definitely fund some kind of parody of the spoon drugstore culture unheard kind of rich media vanity project <laughs> so yes it clocked in at just under an hour long jez's closing speech and wrapped up a conference that i hope has galvanized everyone and as we go forward into the next year that's going to be certainly very interesting as yeah. the conservatives could literally implode at any moment and we need to be ready yeah, exactly. to hit the ground running and get our comrades into power. Yeah, we need to get back on that election footing, but that doesn't mean a kind of uncritical lauding of a form of Corbynism that crystallised with the 2017 manifesto. It's got to be about moving beyond the manifesto to quote a series of articles we're running at New Socialist at the moment. Yeah. To advance a new socialism, a socialism of the 21st century that moves beyond the standard shibboleths of the left Mm. and moves beyond what has so far been politically workable within Corbynism. We have a chance, a historic opportunity. The left is in a historic position of strength to redefine the terms of debate and that's important the ground on which we argue we can fundamentally change as george eaton says 
Corbyn's speech yesterday, although I haven't watched it, I'll take George's word for it, it showed that the left are speaking to the concerns of British people, that they've captured the national mood, and that socialism is the new centre ground. But not in a bad way. Yeah, let's not taint it. Fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's still cool. Don't worry, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> so any closing thoughts as we depart now? And before we go back onto our normal run, this has been, of course, the 69th episode of Real Politic. Nice. Nice, very nice. We'll be carrying on our role on Real Politic, fighting for socialism here in the UK, and uh, we'll be talking about hopefully a lot more up-to-date stuff as they happen week by week when we set up our Patreons, so which will be hopefully coming out in the next few days. So if you want to hear some additional content, you know where to go. We'll be doing mini yeah. premium episodes. There's going to be video essays available, which I'm going to be working on and looking at socialist cinema, musical content. It's going to be a lot of interesting stuff going out. And I look forward to the, especially the coming months, because I'll be going back to university to do my master's. I'll be reading a lot of leftist literature in preparation for my dissertation and some of my essays I'm going to be writing on socialist cinema. But what else can we look forward to in the, in the coming months of Real Politic for the listeners to look forward to, Jack? Well, while we were up in Liverpool, I started devising ideas for, <laughs> um, un- unfortunately, for those who found it an extraordinary exercise in self-indulgence. I did start drafting a sequel to Tim Peake's Baron Walk With Me. Oh, Oh, crumbs. (laughs) (laughs) Set in the future. So it's a kind of uh, sci-fi, Baron sci-fi. While the first one was based in fact and reality, this one is going to be based in, you know, a more kind of a dystopic future where the hard left is running riot. Yeah, exactly. I reckon it will be shorter and less hard to produce than the last one. But (laughs) that's me saying it with only a 13-minute stoned-ass voice note where I keep losing my train of thought and going... Uh, and uh, furthermore, I think I was there uh, at the so time. I was fading in and out of consciousness because yeah, I was you were so tired. Out on the bed, I was very to- tired. <laughs> I was very tired. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, although I can't give you any promises because once I write something, yeah. it tends to start blossoming into a whole world of of, uh, of 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 madness. In a world of pure imagination. Um, so don't don't keep asking us where it's at. It's going to probably be yeah. a long time before that comes out. We're going to be working on other stuff in the meantime that's probably more pressing. But it's it's in the yeah. back of our minds for the time being. You know, we're, we exactly. we only want to do it if we feel that we have material to level what we did with the first one. So <laughs> a sequel to Tim Peake's potentially. But of course, we'll be carrying on our traditional main series aiming to hopefully yeah. hit episode 100 by sometime next year which will be interesting and yeah you know this will be the next episode we release i think but then we have a reading series featuring yair we have an episode on walk hard the dewey cox story one of my favorite comedy films featuring the acclaimed dj roof access and we have we have more don't we we are oh we have another clash episode coming yeah and part two of the clash uh, where we look at combat rock and the projects that mick jones and joe strummer and paul simonon and topper heaton worked on after the clash fell apart so that will be coming out i believe that will be on patreon i think and laura is going to be working on some 
readings we're going to be we're, we're going to try and do some more solo podcast works for the patreon and stuff so you can if, yeah. if there's a particular topic we want to talk about infused with kind of music and clips and readings we're going to be putting those out and laura i know wants to work on she put out a poll on twitter not too long ago and a lot of you voted on what you want her to talk about and she's going to be working on those and we'll put those out so yeah there's going to be plenty of content for you to dig into and i look forward to it excellent any final thoughts that we can put out there before we depart yeah i mean my spiel about a new socialism was largely my final thoughts but i suppose i could add gapesy where were you yeah we, we, fucking... we were we were waiting for you the whole time we were looking all around for you and you did not want to show your face i know it is the one person i really wanted to you know meet and just have a quick photo with and i just wanted to go to a liverpool bar with him you and me and just down <laughs> pints and pints of milk I, that's all exactly I on us obviously we'd yeah. have paid for all this drink absolutely you know we're good guys like that yeah maybe, maybe next year guys. maybe next year maybe maybe next year. maybe next year gapes will feel like he's back in the fold of the party once more when milkism really achieves hegemony Min- minister for milk minister for milk oh my god yeah milk. corbin just like <laughs> what if mike how about i give you a position of a shadow minister for dairy mike's just like what's the weather like in saint petersburg this time of year comrade <laughs> solidarity comrades it's been a pleasure thank you to everyone that came up to us during conference and gave us some good thoughts and great compliments and made us feel that doing this show is actually worth it in the long run you know knowing that you actually like what we do really is a really galvanizing invigorating encouragement and thank you it was great hanging out with you all take care awesome solidarity and now as we leave you with those milky thoughts here's the closing thoughts of jeremy corbyn in his conference speech in March, the spokesman for the leader of the opposition, Mr. Seamus Mill, was quoted as saying to journalists that you have the milk that is taken from cows in the south and taken from cows in the north put together in the same factory and then it is mixed together with whiskey and it comes out as milk.